Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Okay, so um, I'm, my name is James Johnson. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Open Utility. And I've been at, um, we're one of the startups that are incubated here in the ODI. Uh, so I've been asked uh, to, to do this lunchtime lecture. And I guess the, the question um, is, can open data help, us, uh, br- help bring us clean, local and affordable energy. I added in the affordable into that because I think that's key to, to all of this. Um, so to tell this sort of, give this lecture, I'm going to start with giving a little bit of the story behind Open Utility and, and essentially some of the, the challenges that we've faced in, in getting to where we are, uh, which we're still pretty early stage in our, in, in our journey. And then go into a bit more of the detail of some of these challenges, uh, in particular around how they relate to data. And uh, then I've got a few sort of uh, questions to open up for discussion um, at, to, at the end as well. So uh, to start, um, where did this come from? So I, I spent three years um, doing research into what I call the future of power systems. So, so looking at a variety of different things from, from novel ways of producing power from renewables to, to new ways of distributing power over smart grids and, and microgrids. I was studying for a PhD, um, but I, I actually never finished it because in, in January last year I decided I had enough of the sort of theory and, and, and the sort of the research and decided to start a company um, with my co-founder Andy here and uh, some, some others, Alison and some people at the back there as well, <laughs> um, to, to start a company to actually try and change things. And I guess we started with kind of a, a blank piece of paper um, and we were jotting down sort of really important concepts for us. So, so these were transparency and sustainability, obviously, resilience and this concept of democracy. So we had a vision of the future where buildings could essentially become their own power plants. they covered in solar uh, panels, fuel cells, have energy storage, electric vehicle energy storage. And essentially, they could power themselves during the day, and any excess power they could sort of share democratically over a sort of local micro smart grid to their neighbours. This is the vision. I guess our first, our first product and where we wanted to sort of start was this, this idea. It was a simple website essentially which enables consumers to sort of switch away from utility companies and actually uh, choose to buy their energy from local power generators instead so essentially using uh, using their bill their electricity bills would enable the consumers to feel like they're both helping fight global climate change but also supporting local economy so we had all these ideas, we had this vision, we had this goal, and we thought, right now, we'll just implement it. It will be easy. <laughs> it didn't quite turn out that way. Um, and as it turns out, the energy sector doesn't quite open its arms and, and warmly embrace radical change. It's a, sort of a more slower-moving beast. Um, so we basically uh, we spent a year trying to build up know-how and credibility into working out how we could get our innovations to market. And in, in, this, in this year, we really 
discovered quite a few challenging aspects to for for new entrants in the in the energy sector. So the first one I'd say were around the sort of high barriers for entrance uh, for for a tech company. So the typical kind of tech companies that are in and around the ODI. Um, to, to really get to the grips of the energy sector, you've got to start. You've got to go delve deeply into the, the tens of thousands of pages of regulation which surround and kind of constrain the way it operates. And, and there's so many different systems that have been built up over decades uh, and the sort of idea that there's sort of ten systems, they don't really work, so they add another ten systems on top of them to solve those problems and it just gets this layered up appro- pro- approach to ultimately solving relatively simple problems. And all the all the acronyms that go along with um, with all these different systems and subsystems. Um, and I guess the other challenge is there are some really big incumbents in the energy sector and I don't quite see them as being, the, the problem being that they have a vested interest in maintaining status quo. I think the, the biggest problem is actually they're just so big and slow moving that actually as a sort of small dynamic startup it's very hard to even have a conversation with them. So, for example, we're talking with one of the big six, and and we were saying, okay, can we? What's the time frame for getting a, a partnership together to do something innovative? And they said, we were thinking, can we do this in two or three, three months, maybe four months, just get some sort of agreement together? And they said it would take us a month and a half to get an NDA back to you uh, before we could even start talking about doing anything potential. That is just, and that's what would kill a startup working in the in the energy sector is a slow pace of. Um, so that's these are some of the problems for a new entrant. So a, sec- a second area of problems is is around the government policy. It's very unpredictable, um, especially around the area of renewables. Uh, quite a few times in the last uh, three or four years, the government has basically uh, put in some surprise uh, policy shifts in terms of subsidy support for renewables, which has, on more than one occasion, basically killed the industry, or almost killed the industry overnight. And every time, it basically, the industry sort of half the companies or more uh, who are involved in um, the distribution and sales of renewables get go bust overnight or over a few weeks, and then slowly have to kind of build themselves up again. And there's another one coming around uh, next next year um, as the government is basically cutting down the the subsidy level quite sharply again. So there's going to be a boom and a bust in around about March next year. Which is really, it's really difficult um, to work in this sort of environment. Uh, investors are definitely put off. Um, but also, you know, I mean, with the general election next year, there there were some sort of vague threats by um, Ed Miliband to nationalise the whole electricity sector, which was not very, it's not very likely to happen. But just that puts off, you know, just the vague thought that it could happen, puts off investors and puts off... Other, other building momentum behind, you know, in, in the direction which is useful. So that's quite difficult. Um, and then I guess some of the other challenges are probably more systemic, which is a bit more difficult. And I'll go through in a bit more detail some of these right now. So one of the big systemic challenges is access to, to data. So to give you some context, um, for renewable generators above 30 kilowatts and above, which is reasonably sized, but in the greater scheme of things, quite small renewable generation, um, they they get meter readings taken every half hour. Um, but 
by default, this and this data is basically used to um, well to basically so they can invoice and then send the payments. Um, it's called billable data um, from the utility company to the generator. So it's they're basically a key source of their income. But that, by default, they don't have access to this data. Um, the only way to get it is a sort of a invoice at the end of the month, and they have to sort of trust the, the utility company on that. It is possible to take out different, uh, you know, more specialised contracts directly with the, the various parties. But by default, it's not open. Also, by default, there's, ex there's extreme latency here. Um, normally, the data is dispatched to the utility supplier the day after, sometimes two days after the event. Um, for I haven't quite worked out why that you know why that is um, so far, um, but you can pay quite a bit more money to get it in near real time, and it's the order of magnitude of um, 500. I think was it 500 pounds a month. Um, to get it near real time versus a uh, hundred pounds a month to get it a few days later. So it's it's sort of it's kind of crazy in this this age of ubiquitous data and every other aspect of you know society that energy data from these meters um, and on various parties is so so much latency and it's so expensive. Um, I guess I would my my thoughts on why. Why this sort of exists is actually to do with the complexity of the the companies that are. It's to do with the complexity of the overall system, the number of companies, and number of different parties involved in getting this data. So actually, there's there's three different um, parties um, in getting meter data. There's the group called the meter operator. Uh, they basically uh, are in in control of installing the meter and getting the the data from the meter out. Uh, then there's the, D, uh, the data collector, uh, otherwise known as the DC, and they basically receive the data from the meter operator, the, the MOP, and then the DC gives it to the data aggregator, the DA, and the data aggregator basically, I, I believe their role is to pass it through the central auditing process for, double, for verification and then get it back again, and then they send it to the utility supplier who then can do some billing on it. So you have these, this, you have these four uh, different parties, and then the supplier, you can get it, access to this data um, from them, um, or you could contract directly with the DC, or you could contract directly with the MOP if you, if you go out and create, a, if you get a, a more bespoke contract. The, the problem is then, so the, the owner of the data, which is yourself, um, is not the person who's uh, in control of organising the parties, which is by by legislation, which is the supplier. And yeah, basically, I think you have this problem of no one really taking responsibility for solving this issue of getting access to data to the user, because it's just so complex and there's so many different rules and there's different layers of regulation, uh, which which basically constrain how the different groups can organise and interact. I think there is. Um, some good news in, in the horizon in this respect, uh, and that's with the smart meter rollout, uh, which is currently in the planning phases, which should uh, start being implemented in 2016 and then complete in either 2020 or 2021, but it's probably going to be more going to de delayed. And it's essentially every property will get a, a smart meter installed. And I think, the, from what I understand, the MOP, the DA, and the DC are going to get... Um, 
taken out of the equation. There's going to be one or two parties which oversee everything. And I think once you have this one party which can oversee everything, then it's going to be much easier for third-party access and, and also getting access to yourself. So I think the, this problem is potentially in the process of being solved, but at the same time, um, it's not it's not a guaranteed that it's going to be solved. And there's a lot of um, basically people fighting to get uh, listened to uh, groups like My Data in, in all of this um, to make sure it happens. The second challenge is it's possibly a bit more difficult to solve. Um, because I, well, from what I understand, I don't believe it's um, going to be solved anytime soon. And this is basically what I'm calling the archaic ID administration process. So I think everyone who's been involved, uh, everyone who has had a bill from, uh, you know, in, in their personal life and uh, for, uh, for their electricity, has maybe come across this MPAN number, which is essentially this ID for your meter. Um, and it's got 13 digits and and, and essentially uh, the key thing is it doesn't work it's just mistakes are not like, it's not that the mistakes are common mistakes are the norm um, mistakes can be anything from just not having an MPAN associated with your meter to having the wrong MPAN to having the wrong meter to having multiple meters connected to one MPAN to having so you know, just having wrong digits in uh, in it's just been put in wrong because it's manual entry, as I believe, from the person who installs the meter, and it's just the there's a central database, and it's just full of mistakes, and the problem is there's no open access, there's no sort of it's very difficult even to get access when you request it. Um, you need to have again because of regulation and heavy regulation here, you need to either be a utility supplier or a local grid operator to get access to this database and and it's just it's, it's just it causes so many problems uh, one of the key ones which is sort of underlying is this idea of if you want to switch a utility supplier whether you're a generator or a consumer it takes up to si it takes up to 6 weeks and often takes longer to to solve all these problems because you often you don't even i mean i my personal you know i just moved into my flat and there's two MPAN numbers from, for the one meter I'm on, and I'm, I'm still getting <laughs> billed uh, by the previous um, supplier uh, whilst I'm receiving bills from the new one, and they've switched. And it's just, and it, and I've told them this, and the, the system says no. So uh, it's just I don't know where we're going to get with that. But I think that's a kind of a common experience with everyone. And and I don't know. Um, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on or suggestions for a better administration. So because surely there are better ways to do this in, in, in the internet age um, but yeah so that, I don't think this problem this is a problem which isn't being it's not up in front up front and centre um, as being a problem I, and I would like to make it more uh, more openly discuss it and uh, yeah we'll see where we take it uh, third challenge, and this isn't really known by many, um, so most renewable generators uh, end up going through brokerages to sell their power to utilities. And pretty much, I don't think we've come across a single broker which uh, publishes their fees and, doesn't, and actually very rarely do they mention they take fees. And what is surprising 
Um, we did our own research um, by contacting utility companies and getting a feeling for what the what fees were normal between the utility company and the broker. So essentially, they would take a cut, and then the the, the broker would present uh, a quote to the generator. It would be five percent less than than if they weren't there, and the generator doesn't know that that. that that cut's been taken and it's kind of crazy because it's up to five percent and we're you know you're talking about um projects which are hundreds hundreds of thousands of pounds a year of revenue and you're taking five percent of that for a process which is pretty easy you're pretty much just going out and asking every utility to give you a quote and then you're taking thousands of pounds a year revenue from from that single process um and yeah i mean it, it this isn't uh, open. This isn't uh, an open discussion, really. Why, you know, why does this exist? I mean, there's a lot of parallels to what's happening in banking and international banking um, uh, transfers, and we think there should be a bit more of a noise in, about this in in this sector. So it's it's hundreds of millions of pounds, I think, the size of the brokerage market in the UK. I think it's two hundred million pounds a year. Uh, most of it is, uh, you know, could be automated very easily. Uh, and just got got away with. And interestingly, we asked uh, generators, customers as we call them, uh, what they would expect. So they they would expect to pay a broker for a, for to doing a job, but the sort of numbers that they came back with are just not uh, in any order of magnitude the same as what the actual industry is doing. So we see, we see this as a big big challenge to the industry. Uh, and I guess to summarise this, uh, these three preceding challenges, is the industry, the renewables industry, is closed by default. Um, primarily, there's no open marketplace for buying renewable generation. Uh, so that means the utilities themselves have a problem. They don't know what uh, to benchmark a competitive rate is. So they, they get a generator coming to them and saying, can I sell my power to you? And they don't know what's a competitive rate. And there's a bit of a shot in the dark for them. The generators, they don't know where to get the best rates, and if they go for broker, they don't know if that broker's just got a deal with one utility company because he's getting 5% cut on that. So the generators don't have any idea where they're getting the best rates. Uh, and even interestingly, the government has no visibility on this either. Um, uh, we had uh, someone coming in from DEC to see us, to ask us what we knew about the the, the, the kind of the temperature of the marketplace at the time because they had no idea. So it's essentially this, this, this sort of systemic problem that the whole industry is closed. And this is beyond just data. It's contracts. It's, uh, it's a sort of relationships um, and all these sort of things. So these are some of the challenges that we've been facing over the last year. Um, and I guess what we, we, we had this big vision of this truly open marketplace and then we had the reality of all these massive backlog of problems that we had to, to, to get through. So I think we, we took a bit more of a lean approach to, to building our startup and thought, right, what's, what's the easiest thing that we can launch right now which has value to the industry? And actually we, f we focused down on the, the, this, this idea of the hidden fees for, for renewable generators selling to, to utilities. So actually, we, we basically launched a comparison service for renewable generators um, earlier this year. And this is essentially an automated process where um, a generator can come on and submit a, a 
a tender request and then we'll automatically get responses from the, the utilities and then basically create a report for the generator and, and we charge um, very little for that relative to the, the wider context of the industry. And that's begun to get some, some initial traction. We're, we're basically, we have a bit of a, there's a bit of a challenge there because we're now saying we're charging generators for something that they didn't really didn't didn't think they got charged for before, um, even though we're charging them maybe ten times or twenty times less than than the others. So we've got some uh, very we're basically learning and we're sort of growing that iteratively. Um, but I guess the the interesting thing which has happened uh, subsequently is. Now that we've sort of built up relationships, and the utilities love this as well, so we built up relationships with generators but also utilities, because utilities don't like working with brokers either, uh, and some of them actually try, basically don't work with them. Um, so we built up these relationships with utilities, and as I said, the Department of Energy and Climate Change also, and what the interesting thing was uh, that we... we had sort of we applied for some money from from DEC earlier in the year about the, the truly open marketplace vision and how we could get this peer to peer marketplace to fruition. And basically, through building up our credibility in doing the sort of first step, the comparison service, um, DEC said, "Okay, we're going to fund you to do the big vision." And we've actually just secured half a million pounds of funding from DEC to actually. To realise the bigger vision in the first place, so it's a sort of sort of interesting process. Um, but basically, we we've got this funding to to deliver a pilot, which which will be the first peer-to-peer energy marketplace in the UK. So I'll give you a bit more. I'll give you a bit flavour of what this will look like. Um, so in, instead of sort of just being forced to choose between utilities. Um, both as a generator and a consumer, um, we give the generator consumer direct access. So, cons- so this would be as a consumer looking for a local generation that they could add to their mix. The idea that then the generators get a, can, can get an identity and a sort of visibility online. Um, this is really great for community energy groups where they've got a basically got a great story behind them, and. Um, what we're proposing is that ge- the generators can actually have more control on the price that they set. So instead of the process of asking for a quote from utility and then choosing the best, they can be in control of setting their own price, and then, they're, then they have to make a decision on, actually, if I set a high price, am I likely to sell all of it? Uh, if, I, if I set a low price, I will sell most of it. And it basically starts to give them more control over... Uh, the return that they would like. For a consumer, what it means is then you start to build up quite a bit more of an emotional connection to your electricity supply. So instead of all your power coming from utility, which is this grey colour here, uh, I guess we're sort of giving uh, buying electricity more more colour in general. So actually you, you, you can see I'm getting 7% of my energy from this hydro power station um, up in, in back barrel. I'm going to click on that and I'll see what the story is behind that. So it's very much about bringing the excitement of renewables um, into the, the buying of energy. Um, and it, it is really about data. So what we're doing is um, 
we're going to plug into this complex world of the DA, DC, half-hourly meter data. And as standard, we're going to give the, the users access to their data. Um, so uh, as a generator, they would see uh, you know, how much they're generating, but also how much they're selling and to who they're selling to. And vice versa, this is a view for a consumer. They can see for every half hour how much of their energy is coming from different sources. So the yellow source would be a, a solar, for example, wind um, and hydro, and then the grey, basically the top-up energy to, to, to get, make the balance. And then this makes it a bit more exciting because now you can sort of... Um, the, sort of the next stages are, OK, if it's windy outside, actually I can get more cheap energy. Can I, can I start modifying my behaviour uh, so I can be using more at that time? And all this sort of stuff I think is a really exciting way to go. But there's some big challenges um, to get there, and I think what I think we're our approach to it uh, it is is very much uh, instead of um, having this big vision and maybe doing a small pilot, more of an academic exercise, we're very much uh, putting the groundwork in, getting the right partnerships in place, uh, making sure. Uh, we're making logical steps forward uh, and, and basically not trying to bite off too much at each time. So I guess um, I guess that's the end of the lecture and there's sort of flavour of how complex and uh, the industry is but how we are potentially trying to make it better. Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday Lunchtime Lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.